Hello, Potters. It's time for Clay at Our Core, the only pottery podcast coming to you from the corner of Montgomery Road and Hudson Avenue in peace-loving Norwood, Ohio. Except no substitutes. I'm your host, Ann Saker. We have a treat for you, Potters, because for episode 25, we feature someone who is an important person in your studio life. Jane Lester was the second person to join Cora Clay when the cult pastor opened the doors 18 years ago. Jane has served as membership director, and hers is the gentle voice you hear when you get a reminder about your shelf fee or your firing package. She has her own great story about how she came to Cincinnati and to Clay. Stay tuned. First, a few reminders. The month of May has arrived, my friends, which means our dear Elizabeth Given will be igniting the Big Bailey Gas Eater on Wednesday and will throw our monthly kiln opening on Friday. Stop on by at 6 p.m. Then, because I know you can't get enough of this, this Saturday is the Spring Pottery Fair in East Walnut Hills. More than 40 of the area's great artists pop their tents to show you what they've been up to. The Clay Alliance is still looking for volunteers for the fair, so reach out to Tracy Eilith if you're available. Tracy talked to us for episode 23, so give that a listen to learn more. Let's pray for good weather. Now here's our conversation with Jane Lester, ceramic artist, Reiki master, mom, wife, good friend to all potters. All right, Potters. Well, I am so thrilled to be sitting here talking with my friend, Jane Lester. Jane, how the heck are you today? I am doing so good. Are you? So happy to be here with you. Oh, I'm so glad. Me too. It's been, I've been looking forward to doing this chat with you in a while. You are a familiar, certainly as familiar a face here at Court Clay as the cult pastors herself. <laughs> and so I wanted to have this opportunity to sit down and talk to you a little bit about who you are and about the beautiful work that you do and uh, where you see yourself going with this in the future. And uh, so, t Jane, tell me a little bit about Jane Lester. Where are you from originally? So I was born in England, okay. but um, my parents moved to South Africa when I was a child. And why was that? Um, my dad decided that there were better opportunities. My aunt lived in South Africa, and um, they really didn't like the weather too much in England. <laughs> Imagine and, that. <laughs> yeah. They were like, I think life will be good. Yeah. And so I was a kid. So my short answer whenever somebody asks me, where are you from? I usually just straight up say South Africa because that's where I grew up, and it's where I sound like I'm from. It's my accent. Um, I moved here when I was 29, and I guess as an adult, you don't lose your accent that easily. Mm -hmm. Although all my family and friends from South Africa can hear the Americanness in my accent. Interesting, now. interesting. Do you say an Americanism now that baffles uh, your South African family? No, I think there's just certain things that I don't say Cincinnati anymore. I say Cincinnati. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. And so I roll, there's a, a lot softer, more, a, a softer soft, right. tone to the words that I say. Sure. And I've learned to say certain things in uh, an American way. I found that there were certain words that Americans just couldn't understand. They all, understand is a weird way of putting it, but didn't get. If I said, I would like half a sandwich, what? Really? Uh, half a sandwich, half. We don't understand you. I had to learn to say half. Half. Half instead of half. 
somehow that word half just didn't translate. Oh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> but it's the same word, it's just a different softness in the vowel. And yeah. Okay. So uh, when you came here at 29, you were married, I assume, and had kids? Um, I actually wasn't. I'd been living with Andrew, who is now my husband. Yay, Andrew. We love it. Hello, Andrew. We love you. <laughs> he was um, actually working on, a, feed, uh, on a, a TV series in South Africa at the time. So he couldn't join me right away. I had the fun of traveling around and picking the place to live. And why did you choose this part of the country? Why did you choose America and why did you choose Southwest Ohio? I chose America because I was working in TV production, in video, actually video production okay. in South Africa. Uh -huh. I worked with a director from San Francisco who I got along with really well and he said, you would do great in America. All the things, South Africa was like 20 years behind the times. Everything cool that came along was American. TV-wise, and I was like, I would love to do that. It seemed like it was going to be a great opportunity. I had children at the time, and it was going to be a great opportunity for them to come here. They were, of course, all they thought about at seven and nine years old was, we can go to Disney World. Disney World, World <laughs> of course. So I came here, and I kind of took the stress off myself in saying, if it doesn't work out and I don't like it, I can go somewhere else. Right. I don't have to make this work for the rest of my life. Let's right. just see how it goes, see right. what happens. And so um, I came over here and within a short space of time did find my place, found a lot of different companies that I could work for, um, and started freelancing in TV and video production. But why Cincinnati? Um, I had met people that came from Connecticut to here and considered it a hidden jewel. I traveled around, I had a Delta Pass, which allowed me, it was $399 at the time, and allowed me to travel anywhere I wanted to go for 30 days. So I used the airlines, Delta Airlines, like a bus service. And I would just go from here to there, and I totally trusted my instincts. I would meditate every morning, asking for guidance and trust to get me to the place that was right for me. And I would arrive somewhere and just not feel it, um, as in I landed in Salt Lake City and just felt weird. I'm <gasps> like, I didn't even leave the airport. Wow. I then looked at the, uh, the boards and said, where else can I go? And found another flight and went somewhere else. So very judgmental. <laughs> <laughs> I just made instant judgments on right. places and like, okay, this isn't right for me. Right. Okay. And then I came to Cincinnati. I ha became a Yellow Pages thief and I had Yellow Pages bad karma ever since that point, because what I would do is I would go to like a phone booth and see the yellow pages. I'd rip out all the pages that related to film and video production. I got back to New Jersey where my mom and stepdad were living and looking after my children. Thank you, mom. Yes. And um, I would then make phone calls. Hi there, I am Jane Lester. I am from South Africa. I am looking to work in video production. Are you hiring? Do you hire freelancers? Wow. And I went from there. Wow. And what happened with Cincinnati is out of 10 phone calls that I made, I got six interviews. Holy cow. 
Out of six interviews, I got three offers of full-time work and three people said they would hire me freelance. So that was like, okay, ding, 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 right. I have to start here. Okay, all right. I mean, talk about the immigrant story, right? You just, you get <laughs> yeah. here and you roll up your sleeves and say, I will do any work you've got for me and I will, that is really amazing. So tell me about how you journeyed to clay. I mean, you worked here crazily for a long time and then raising children and working and Andrew eventually joined you and, yeah. and, then, and then how did you get to clay? I had always wanted to do it, but as a freelancer, when you freelance, um, you are very much owned by the person that hires you. For sure. So if I was working on a commercial, it maybe lasted two or three weeks, but they own me kind of 24 seven. Right. So I knew there was no time to go and learn how to do clay. And I, I always wanted to do it. And then somebody that I met, said to me, you, they have these classes at community centers and they're not expensive. And you could go along and you know what, if you get a job and you miss out some of the classes, who cares? They're so inexpensive, you could just hop out of that one and join in the next one. Right. So I went to Clifton Rec Center and um, Nicholas um, Har, Westerkamp, was one of my teachers. We love Nicholas Har, Westerkamp. Kirk Mayhew was another one of my teachers. Right. And um, it wasn't like that. You didn't, I missed plenty of the classes, but it wasn't as regulated and formed. So you missed one thing, well, they showed it to you the next time, and your fellow students were so giving and loving, and they would help you. Jack, one of our studio members, he was actually one of the people who helped me to center. Oh, wow, okay. So th isn't that funny? That it is a small world here in Clay, yes, isn't it? Is. it? It really, it really is. is. So you went to the Clifton Arts Center and- uh, Rec Center. Rec Center, I'm sorry. And so, and that's where you learned on the wheel for the first time. And, uh, and then you fell in love with it. And tell me about the first time you put your hands on it and made it happen. So centering was difficult for me. Um, you know, it was one of those things that was really the clay bust me around yeah. and I just found it really hard and You know Kirk showed me Nicholas showed me my other fellow students then one day Jack showed me something um, And it just clicked yeah, and maybe it was the fact that it was a slightly different method or maybe I'd been practicing enough that I was ready to get it at that point but you know, I, I just got it and th fell in love with it. That first time you feel the clay centered under your hands and you feel it centered. It's magic, isn't it's it? It's magic. Uh, there is a, uh, you can, and, when, and when you're teaching somebody and you see that light in their eyes, they, they feel it. I think some of the problem is people do not appreciate how much physical force you need to apply even on a small wedge of clay to get it centered. I think people sort of think you put your hands on it and magically happens because you're using a power tool. But in fact, you really have to work on it to get it to the center. Is that, was that your feeling as well? I think so, and I think you have to engage your core. Right. You have to, I found that the method of having my elbow pressed firmly into my thigh. Yes. With my hand sideways onto the clay and the other one on top. Right. That is what worked for me. But keeping my elbows grounded. Yes. 
So I think to me, it's a lovely life lesson being that I'm into energy and woo woo stuff, <laughs> you know, the fact that I had to be centered and grounded right. and engaged in my core. I love that about it, that clay is almost a metaphor for life. Boy, isn't that a fact? And that's something I think uh, beginners probably need to hear, right? I mean, how do you, I mean, when, if, you're, if you were counseling beginners, particularly on this point of being centered as well as centering the clay, what, what's the advice that you give to them? How, do, what, how would you guide them? I think one of the things that clay can teach you is non-attachment. Mm -hmm. So you have to let go of something. There are so many processes, processes, however you say that word, of what clay goes through. So it can mess up at so many different points. So you've made something that you think is so beautiful and so wonderful. Well, then the glaze may turn out horrible. For sure. Or somebody else's piece may explode in the kiln and mess up your piece. Right. I think it's, again, a nice metaphor for life yes. to not be too attached right. to the outcome. You can wish for something, hope that it happens, and then let it go. Right. Uh, I think it also helps, I find, to make a couple different versions of this thing that you love so much because That's a good idea. you might lose, as you say, you might lose one in the kiln, you might drop one in the glaze bucket, you might do all kinds of things that... Yeah, but you're right. There's always that one piece where you're like, oh my gosh, this is the most amazing thing I've ever done. And, you know, uh, it will, the angels themselves will take it up into heaven and then it comes out of the kiln and it's just like, no, that is not what I wanted. So this piece that's sitting here, um, my flower bowl set, as I call it, I was so excited to be able to make it. So I had this idea. I've enjoyed the challenge of making nesting bowls for quite a while right so typically for the last number of years i've been making a series of five so you know one would be about the size of a mixing bowl and then going down to there to a small little bowl in the center something you would maybe put spices in when you're measuring them out to cook right and they're all graduated by exactly the same amount and I like it when they slightly gradate inwards. Okay. Um, you know, uh, with the lowest being in the center to the highest on the outside. And there's a precision in it. You've got to measure the clay. For You've sure. got to use a ruler and measure out what you're doing, which is a little bit annoying because I like to be a little bit more freeform about what I do. Right. But I love the challenge of it and I love how they look. So then I had the idea from looking at flowers, from looking like at a peony, and the, the beautiful way the petals go. Mm -hmm. I thought, what if I could make a flower bowl set like that with the um, edges drooping and drooping inwards and outwards? And I, so I tried it, and I really wanted it to make it lay down a little. Well, the first one I did, I pushed too far, and the clay blumps onto uh, the wheel uh, uh. but then so uh, finally I did it and I made it and I got it to look perfect the right size inside each other I'd pressed inwards and outwards to get the little petals formed just how I wanted them it sat for about a month on my shelf I didn't want to glaze it 
because? Because I was so scared the glaze was going to mess up. Right. I'm like, oh my gosh. So the first time I did it, I did it with this glaze combination that you can see here, which is shiny white with Moody's green around the edge of it. Mm. And I had tested it on another bowl and another cup first <laughs> to make sure that I liked what it was going to look right. like before I did it. Because much as I know that I should be practicing non-attachment, I was attached. Right. I was attached to my little flower bowl set. I mean, it is. It, it, this is part of the lesson, right? Is that you can say you're unattached or non-attached. But you, you're human. You get yes. attached. So let's talk about this beautiful set. It's three pieces. What's the? How big is the largest one? Looks like um, the, about eight inches. Yeah, I'd say more or less. I don't know. I haven't measured. Okay. I don't know exactly. But I would say, yeah, eight and then seven and then, no, eight, maybe five and a half and four. Okay. And uh, you you like B-Mix, right? That's your, I do. Okay. B-Mix is my guy. B-Mix is your thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, so tell me what you were thinking about while you were making, while you were, did you want this to be just a three-piece set? Yes. Okay. So this turned out exactly as I wanted it. I, um, this is the second one I've made. The first one lovely. found a lovely home. Oh, um, good. Yes. And um, I had a different one um, that I had made in a different color that I was so honored this weekend at the show that I was at, um, the Victory of Light show, um, somebody bought it and told me they were giving it as a wedding present. I was so honored. Wow. I know. Isn't that lovely? Yes, I felt so great about it. Um, that it's a beautiful wedding present, so that would be a great thing to do. Let's talk about the vision of light show. Visions of light show. Victory. Plural? Victory. Why do I keep saying that? Oh my gosh. Because it's vision. Vision it and victory. Vision. It is vision. So victory of light show. So tell me about that. You've been doing that show for a while, right? The first year I did it was 2009. Um, I started in clay in 2002. And I, um, in about was end of 2007. I was reading a book by Dr. Masiru Omoto, who took pictures of water molecules after energy had been put into them. Wow. So he would take a glass of water and put the energy of love into it or the energy of hate and war. Wow. And then a little molecule of it will be frozen and then photographed. And he took the pictures. You can um, see them in this book. Wow. I was looking through this book and I'm like, wow, the ones that have love energy look like beautiful crystals, beautiful snowflakes, just gorgeous. The one with the hate and war looks like an ugly mud, mud puddle, just horrible. And I thought, well, there's so much water in clay. Could I learn this uh, uh, a way of putting energy into the clay? So I went and looked at different modalities and I found Reiki. Reiki is a way of bringing divine energy through you and through your hands. A lot of people do it on other people like healing touch. But what I decided to do with it was put it into my pottery. So my process is that I get my Reiki energy flowing strongly. For me, my hands get really hot. I can feel when I've tuned into the divine 
and the energy is flowing through me. And then once that has happened, then I put, I start working on a piece. Like this mug that I have here is a mug that is filled with the energy of joy. And so as I was making this piece, I focused on the energy of joy. I often think of a time that I was in a boat and dolphins were just right next to me in this little tiny paddle boat. And it felt so joyful. So the Reiki energy is flowing through me. I'm feeling this lovely, joyful energy. And then I make a series of cups or mugs or bowls. I'll carve the word joy into them. And the idea is that a person uses this and every day the energy of joy will go into the liquid. But for somebody who's a little bit more of a non-believer who's maybe, oh, Reiki, what are you talking about? Right. That's like way out there. You can say to them, well, hey, if you're drinking out of a cup that says joy and every day you say, I feel joyful today. Today will be a joyful day. The more you think it, the more it's going to happen. Right on. So even a person who doesn't believe in Reiki energy will believe in the power of their own mind. When you are sitting down to do this, and you do you make a practice of, uh, well, for lack of a better term, centering yourself in your own Reiki energy so that when you do sit at the wheel, uh, you're already plugged in? Or do you wait till you're sitting at the wheel so that your body knows you're about to do a task? and then call upon the Reiki energy? I, or does it matter, or do you both do both of those? Um, I, I usually get it, uh, when um, anyone who's listening to this podcast who does Reiki or knows about Reiki, um, as a Reiki practitioner, you um, call in the energies first. Ah, okay. So you do that, and you ask for the blessing and for the energies to flow through you, and there's certain prayer that you say and um, there are symbols that you do when you're putting them into the pottery, but you start off by centering yourself and calling in that energy. Okay, all right. So and that's what you did with this flower, with everything you throw? With is everything I do, often I'll put a word on it, but then I started making pieces that don't have a word on, and what I focus on is all is well. All is right in my world, so that's what this has. I haven't put a, a specific energy into it. I just thought, all is what right in my world. Oh my goodness. And, this and is so the Victory of Light show, that's where I mainly, twice a year, it's in April and November, and it's a metaphysical show. So everybody that's there, they've all heard of Reiki energy. Right. It's where my peeps are that are going to come and say, yeah, hell yeah, I want to have a mug that says gratitude so I can have a gratitude practice. Are you the only ceramic artist who's the, at the Victory of Light show? Um, there, There is um, a, a couple of other people. Um, I know Jamie and Tracy Eiliff did uh, it for a couple of years. They okay. haven't been there for a while. I think it conflicts with them getting ready for Spring Fair. Okay. It's a little too close too to close. it. Too close, sure, okay. But I, I'm the only functional ceramic artist that's there that okay. does anything. And people come and say, I've never seen this. And I'm like, I think it was a God-given idea that I got the idea wow. when I was reading that wow. book. Do they, in that environment, I imagine your wares kind of sell themselves, right? I, I think so. Okay. I just, the show was actually just last weekend. Right. And it was really great. 
and um, often people will call me after the show or go onto my website and look for some pottery and I find it keeps me busy. For sure. Yeah. What is your website? Um, ReikiPottery.com. R-E-I-K-I Pottery.com. Okay. That's that's good to know for uh, the potters who are shopping out there. Um, how do you how did you feel about Ansika? Now that we've had this conference, we've had some time to think about it. What was your what did your what was your big takeaway from it? I loved it. It was my first one. Me too. And um, the first day I went down there was on the Wednesday, and I was passing out some stuff for Core Clay, and I found myself pretty overwhelmed. Yeah, like, me too. Like beauty overload. Yes. Everything I kept seeing, it was just one gorgeous thing after another. And I was there for a few hours, and I was just like, oh, I need to like sit down for a minute. Yeah. I need to like step away from all this gorgeousness. I went back again on the Friday for half of the day and I coped with it much better. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, Jane, you know, I think most of it, certainly people here at Core Clay, all the studio members, all the workers here, uh, you are a treasured and valuable uh, foundational employee here. You were probably employee number two for with after John Mason here yeah I think so I know I was um, the second person here okay um, yeah I'd say that that was that was right and so part of you tell, why don't you describe for our listeners what your task is here at Core Clay so um, I I don't know if I have a real title but I kind of call my, myself the membership coordinator right um, I uh, make sure that the bills get sent out to people. Um, we do firing packages for people so that um, you know they can get all their stuff fired. We do it on a system where there are pictures taken of their work and then the amount of the weight gets taken off that package. So I manage that and make sure that when somebody needs to buy a new package that they do that. Right. So that's my main function here. But you're also managing the, uh, the studio shelf uh, rentals, and you're often talking with members about where they are in, their, in the billing and their account, and uh, we're, I think that's an important thing for people to understand is that you are, in many respects, you're the voice in the face that they contact when, they're, when they have a problem on their account, and uh, I think, have you found that potters generally are pretty easygoing where those things are concerned, or are they, uh, can they be difficult? Yeah, I think that uh, um, pretty much for the most part, I would say people are, um, you know, pretty uh, easygoing about it. We have been using a QuickBooks system, and as you know, you know, there have been some challenges along <laughs> the way. And I think people are generally very understanding when yes. I apologize and say, I'm sorry, there was a glitch, <laughs> you know. Yeah, they get it. They, get, know, what, they, they get what totally glitch do. means. And yeah. sometimes they have problems on their side that they think they took care of something, right. and I'll contact them and say, hey, you haven't paid your bill. And they're right. like, I'm so sorry. Right. I thought I took care of that. Yeah, so for sure. Yeah, for sure. I think one thing that readers love to know is that you have what I call your magic book. Not only are you keeping everything in the computer, but you are old school and you have like nice little, like almost like grade school notebooks and you keep meticulous 
exacting specific records of every transaction that you handle. And that has been invaluable as we have been working through our post-pandemic uh, accounting uh, circus uh, to be able to go back and say, no, we've got this thing, this is what and happened then. And I think then. you know what that comes from is when I was in production, um, you know, I am not actually by nature the most organized person, believe right. it or not. Right. Which you would probably say, oh my gosh, I think people say to me, but you seem so organized. And I think my husband will say to me, why aren't you like you are in production at home? <laughs> well, because I don't have to be. Right. I can be way more loosey-goosey about right. everything. But what I learned to do was have a notebook and I use a highlighter when the task is done. Right. And that served me well through my production life of making sure my, I don't have to rely on my memory for everything. And when you're juggling 50,000 things at once, and you could need to remember, nope, this is what was said, not that. And somebody may say, no, but we told you we were going to do this, this. Actually, no. On this date, you said this, this, this. You know, so it's a good way to hold others accountable and yourself for accountable. For sure, for sure. And it has served us when computers, as Laura ha and I have both discovered, we have both been looking at the computer and an entry has disappeared literally before our very eyes. Right. Ten years ago, people would say, oh, no, a computer always does it right. right. Uh, no, sorry for you. Right. Not true. Not happening <laughs> that way, for sure, for sure. Well, that has been... Uh, that has been one of the really wonderful things about working here at Core Clay is working with you and seeing how well you've managed this uh, this giant enterprise, especially since our me our membership basically has blown up in the last six months. We've just we went from like eighty to one hundred and thirty in almost no time at all. It seems before the pandemic, when we were at Old Core Clay, we kind of would ha go between thirty five, forty two, forty five members at the most. And, you know, coming here, I think we had 40 or so. Wow. And it really has. It's grown by threefold or more. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Well, a lot of that is thanks to you, Jane, because you, you make it easy for people to, to do this. Well, Jane, I want to thank you once again for sitting down and talk with me. If this is, it's, as always, it's just a pleasure to hear about your journey on this. And uh, dear Potters, send Jane love notes because she needs to hear how, uh, how well she does for you. Anyway, thank you so much, Jane. It's been great talking with you again today. Thank you, Anne. I love listening to the podcast, so Yay. it's an honor to be on it. Yay, that's what we love to hear. Thank you. And that, Potters, is Jane Lester's immigrant story of Clay. I love her observation that one of the things that Clay can teach you is non-attachment, so you have to let go of something. Amen. Also, be sure to keep an eye out for the lovely photographs of Jane taken by Cora Clay artist-in-residence Alondra Biberos for all your social media channels. Also, don't forget about Cora Clay's kiln opening this Friday and the Spring Pottery Fair on Saturday. Then come on back here to the studio because we're having a pizza and beer party. We've got a great lineup of interviews to come on the podcast, Potters, so stick around. Until then, this is Ann Saker, hoping the kiln gods smile upon you.